Good morning, everyone. It's been a tough week, hasn't it? Losses, challenges. But we need rich moments of worship like this that can wash over our souls and remind us that there's nothing greater than grace. As a church family, we are making a journey through the Gospel of Luke, and today we're in Luke chapter 17. And we're focusing on verses 11 to 19. If you would open your Bibles, please, and read along with me. Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give thanks to God and praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. When I was in my early 20s, I took a year out of college to go to South Korea and serve as a student missionary. I lived in Pusan, and all through the week, we would teach conversational English and Bible classes. On the weekends, we would conduct evangelistic meetings. Truly, it was a memorable year of my life. I loved every minute of it. But the truly hard part of the experience was the fact that we did not then have the technology that we have now. There was no internet, no email, no FaceTime, and the girl I loved and planned to marry someday lived on the other side of the world in a little town called Angwin. So every day I would get out one of those blue sheets of paper called an aerogram. Any of you remember those? I would write out my love letters, I would fold them up and send them across the way, and it would take one and a half weeks for those aerograms to get from Pusan to Angwin. Then she would sit down and write a return letter, and that would take another week and a half to get back, thus concluding a three-week communication loop. Somehow we got through that. Somehow our love thrived, and a week from Monday, we celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. One day when I sat down to write Linda a letter, I decided to tell her about my visit to a leper colony. I told her how we, we as SMs gathered together all the folks there for a chapel service. And we pulled out our guitars. We sang all the happy songs. There is sunshine in my soul today. There shall be showers of blessings. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And the people just lifted the rafters with their singing. There was joy in the camp. I told her how I got up and I preached my best sermon. The people loved it. They were shouting amen and hallelujah. We were having a glorious time of worship together. There was just one problem. Sitting in the back was a shriveled up old man who was all dour and glum. 
He didn't smile. He didn't laugh. He didn't sing. He didn't say amen. He just sat there all sour and, and glum. I was so bothered by the whole thing that as soon as the worship service was over, I marched to the back. I got in his face and I confronted him. I said, brother, what's eating you? When Linda read that in the letter, she was absolutely horrified that I would treat a man like that. What she took a long time to realize was I made up the story. It was a joke. No such thing had ever happened. But in the real story of our lives, we are all lepers, aren't we? All of us have something that is eating on us. It could be a deep insecurity. It could be all that stuff that chatters away in our heads. It could be an addiction. It could be an eating disorder. It could be overwhelming depression. It could be health challenges. It could be a legal dispute. It could be an important relationship that has gone south. It could be a failed marriage. It could be all the guilt and the shame that goes with the stupid things we have said and done through the years. Today, we're talking about leprosy. We're talking about leprosy on the physical level, but more important, we're talking about leprosy on the spiritual level. Back in the days of the Bible stories, the very worst thing that could ever happen to you would be to get leprosy. Leprosy is mentioned 55 times in the Old Testament and 13 in the New. And whenever the Bible uses the word leprosy, there's a lot of latitude going on here. It can be used to describe a a whole range of skin diseases, such as a rash, an infection, a mold, a discoloration of the sin, all the way to total body rot, as we call it today. It's Hansen's disease. And here in the story, we have 10 men with Hansen's disease. They're in a bad place. Now, in Bible times, it was considered to be quite a contagious disease. So you could get it from multiple skin contacts with someone who had the disease. You could get it from their coughing, their sneezing, as fluids from the throat or the nose were sent flying through the air. People who were very poor and living in squalor were particularly vulnerable to catching this disease. And the crazy thing about it all is the incubation, incubation period. One could go for five to 20 years before they even knew they had the disease. And, and in most cases, nine full years passed by between diagnosis and death. It was a horrible, horrible experience. The whole miserable journey would begin with white spots appearing on the skin. And over time, those, those spots would harden and they would move from white to pink to brown. And they'd get all scaly. They would spread over the body, and by the time they hit the face, you knew something was going on because the skin in the outer ear and the cheek would get quite thick. And what's more, the nose would begin to cave in as the cartilage gave way. The spots would continue on, I mean, and uh, tumorous growths would begin to develop in that respiratory tract, making it difficult to breathe. The whole thing would attack the optic nerve, making it more and more difficult to see. The vocal cords would break down to the point that lepers would have this raspy quality to their voices, kind of like the low growl of a dog. Miserable experiences, the spots continue to multiply over the body and they begin to ooze this 
pus with a nauseating stench. It was terrible. In many ways, leprosy was more of a neurological disease than a skin disease because the nerve damage made it impossible for people to feel the pain. And so if they burned themselves on a hot stove, they didn't feel it. If they cut themselves with a sharp knife, they didn't feel it. If they scratched themselves raw, they just couldn't feel it. If while they were sleeping on their beds at night, a rat came into the house and started chewing on their skin, they never felt it. And because they couldn't feel it and because their visual capacities couldn't take in what was going on, they were clueless. They had no idea. So the infections would set in. And after a while, whole body rot began to take place. The eyebrows would fall out. The fingers and the limbs would become all twisted. The muscular system became all contorted. And after a while... Fingers and hands and toes and feet began to fall off. Needless to say, people in this condition were a threat to society, and so they had to be quarantined. They had to quit their jobs. They had to leave their families. They had to walk away from their friends. They could no longer worship in the synagogue on Sabbath morning. The only thing they could do was leave town and hole up in a hut with other lepers just like themselves. Most of the time, these guys were flat broke because all the money they ever had was back home trying to take care of their families as best they could. And those who were fortunate enough to have some money at their disposal would check themselves into clinics where they were subjected to smelly bass and and healthy food that made them want to gag and weird pagan rituals and sacrifices. These guys were all alone. It was a difficult journey. Every time they went out, they had to to tear their clothes. They had to uncover their heads. They had to wear a patch above their upper lip. They had to croak out at the top of their lungs. Unclean! Unclean! And the hardest thing of it all was this, the spiritual impact of it all. Because day after day, people threw in their faces the fact that they were miserable sinners, that they had just done one bad too many times, that they had irked God one too many times, that they had incurred the divine wrath to the point that God had thrown up his hands and said, that's it. I give up on this guy. Just let him rot to death. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine the misery and the suffering? Can you imagine the loneliness, the depression, and the despair? It was enough to send even the most remotely sane man or woman right over the edge. And maybe today, you should take take stock of what's going on in your own life your own struggle with soul leprosy, maybe you can relate. At first, it was just a little thing. That nerve called the conscience became quieter and quieter. That feeling for God went ignored time and time again until it got to the place you were numb all over. You just couldn't feel much of anything. Only thing left was this deep soul itch in your heart. And you did your best to scratch that itch with things like porn or alcohol or drugs. Perhaps for you it was hoarding or out-of-control spending 
Maybe it was violent video game binges or an affair or cutting. Maybe you went for more respectable kinds of addictions like working around the clock or relentlessly pouring yourself into ministry day after day after day to the point you were exhausted, breathless, too tired to even hear from God. Some people go for out-of-whack, out-of-balance diets and lifestyle regimes. Some people go for all kinds of things like control games, power games in the home, in the, in the church, in the workplace, to the point no one wants to be around you anymore. All of us are lepers. All of us are sinners. All of us struggle with soul rot. That is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Psalms 14, verse 3, all have turned aside. There is no one who does good, not even one. Isaiah 64, verse 6, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are all shriveled up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sin sweeps us away. Let's be honest here. The whole thing has left us raw and empty, hasn't it? The whole thing has left us sore and stinking. The whole thing has left us lonely and isolated. The whole thing has left us in despair and without hope. But I have good news for you today. Jesus is coming your way. Did you hear me? Jesus is coming your way because Dr. Luke tells us in the story that Jesus is on a journey. He is taking a circuitous route to Jerusalem. He is on his way to the cross. And here in the story, he and the disciples are moving through a little strip of land where the Jews and the Samaritans butt up against each other. Jesus is on a mission. He's very intentional about the whole thing because there's 10 men he needs to do kingdom business with. And you know what? You and I are right there with them today. We are numb all over. We are with these guys covered with sores. We stink. We are wasting away. We're flat broke. We're all alone. We feel like we're a million miles away from everyone, especially God. We're falling apart. We're unclean. And yet we know Jesus is coming our way. Here we are standing together doing our best to steady ourselves, help each other, support each other as we, we are on our stubby little feet. Here we are waving our bandaged, bloodied stumps in the air. Here we are with our, our tattered clothing flapping in the wind from our skeletal frames. Here we are desperately crying out, croaking with everything we've got. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, I'm in a mess. Jesus, do something for me. Jesus, please cleanse me and make me whole. And what does Jesus do? He acknowledges our need. He responds to our heart's cry. He says to these men, get going. 
Get moving. Get yourself back into town. Go see the priest. And the promise here is in the command because there's only one reason for them to go show themselves to the priest, and that is for a medical examination that will declare them leprosy-free. So these guys get moving. They're shuffling along. They're hobbling along. They're helping each other the best they can. And as they go, things start popping inside. Things start happening. They realize something's going on here. Suddenly, their stubby feet are whole and they're able to walk with ease. Suddenly, their, their skin is smooth and something's going on there. They got, they got fingers and hands that can feel. Suddenly, the bandages are flying off and blowing away in the breeze. Suddenly, they've got whole faces and smooth skin that they can feel as they run their fingers over their bodies. Suddenly, their eyes can focus. They can see themselves and each other. Suddenly, their voices are clear. They are singing. They are shouting. They are jumping up and down. They're as happy as schoolboys. Suddenly... They realize the man who has healed so many before has healed them. And suddenly, they are faced with the all-important question, what's next? What's next? Nine out of the ten men are of one mind. Do just what Jesus said. Go show themselves to the priest. Go see the county health officials according to the requirements laid down in Leviticus 14. Go submit themselves to the three-step, eight-day program that would mainstream them in society again. You know how the system goes? Step one, day one, go into town. Be sprinkled with blood and water. Take a bath, shave, and wash your clothes. Step two, day seven, take another bath, shave, wash your clothes, and go home. And day eight, step three, return to worship God with an offering. These men, they're ready to go. And with that, they head into town. But there's one mind, there's one man with a different mind in this whole thing. And as he ponders the significance of the moment, he says, there's only one thing that matters to me now. Going to see the priest can wait. I can take care of that tomorrow. But today, right now, the only thing that matters is being with Jesus. The only thing that matters to me is to worship him. The thing that matters most is to give thanks. And with that, he turns back. As he comes up over the crest of the hill and he looks out across the way, he can see Jesus. And all of the emotions come to the surface. The tears are brimming in his eyes. There's a lump in his throat. His heart is pounding in his, his chest. And suddenly his feet are running, running, running towards Jesus. And when he finally gets there, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And he cries, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a profoundly moving moment. Even Jesus is in tears because even Jesus needs to know that he is loved and appreciated. Finally, Jesus finds the words and he says to the man, where are the other nine? All he can do is shrug his shoulders 
Turning to the disciples, Jesus says, is this man, the, the Samaritan, this foreigner, this, this outsider, the only one who knows how to give thanks to God, the only one who knows how to worship and give praise and honor to God? And then, after letting it all sink in for a moment, Jesus' face lights up in the biggest smile as he says to the man, get up. Go home. Your faith has made you whole. This gospel story reminds us of important things. This gospel story reminds us that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we do what Jesus says, when we have been touched by grace and have been healed, when our hearts are filled with peace and assurance, there's only one thing to do, and that is to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for healing. Thank you for salvation. Bill is a man who knows what soul rot is all about. He grew up in a home that wanted nothing to do with the things of God. In fact, one day his mother pulled him aside and said, Billy, I need to talk to you. Billy, there's one thing I want you to understand. I don't care if you become a drug addict. I don't care if you rob a bank. I don't care if you mess up in every avenue of your life, but there's one thing I want you to never do. I never want you to become a Christian, never. And with that, Bill embraced an atheistic lifestyle that, that took it all in. He was sexually promiscuous. He ran through a string of marriages and divorces. His pursuit of fame and fortune led him to become a workaholic. He drank heavily and took drugs. Man was absolutely miserable and didn't know what to do about it until one day, he called out to God, and he said, God, I'm miserable. Do something for me. Help me out of this mess. Late one night, Bill went to the all-night bookstore near his home in San Francisco, and there under a stack of pornographic magazines, he found a Bible. He bought the Bible, took it home, and for the first time in his life, he read the story of Jesus. He read the story of Jesus' life, his ministry, his teachings, his miracles, his death on Calvary's cross, his burial and resurrection, his ascension into heavenly places, and his promise to come again. And Bill came under the conviction that Jesus Christ is real. He came under the conviction that he mattered to God, and he came under conviction that it was time for him to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And so on January 25, 1980, Bill fell to his knees and accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. Life began to change. Bill experienced a wonderful healing. The drugs, the alcohol no longer plagued him. He was able to put his life and relationships back together again. Instead of pursuing worldly wealth, he decided to pour his energy into resource, and his resources into helping other atheists 
sort through their spiritual confusion. He began a ministry that provided medical supplies for refugees escaping from communist regimes. But most important, Bill learned to love his mother. You see, Bill's full name is William J. Murray. He is the oldest son of Madeline Murray O'Hare, one of the most renowned atheists of our time. The message in this gospel story today for us is that if Jesus could heal a leper, and if Jesus can heal Bill, Jesus can heal you. Jesus can take all that anxiety, all that dysfunction, all that hurt, all the disappointment in your life, all that loss, and he can heal you today. And all you have to do is cry out to him, Jesus, fix me. Fix me for a better life. Fix me for higher ground. Fix me for my home above. Fix me for my starry crown. Oh, Jesus, fix me. Listen as Rhonda sings.
Fix me, Jesus, fix me. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we are human. We are broken. We are sinners. We are shot through with soul leprosy. There are issues eating us up. And so we look to you to fix us because we can't do it ourselves. Cleanse us, make us whole. Send us from this place rejoicing in your grace, your healing, your salvation. We pray in Jesus' name.